Welcome everybody to another rendition of our Rotel podcast interview series with uh, the amazing experts that we have on our platform. Today we have Leslie Intriago. Am I pronouncing that properly? Very good. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, super excited to have Leslie with us today. Uh, she is one of our superstars. Has been uh, with us, uh, you know, one of the longer standing people uh, on the platform uh, has worked on a couple of different engagements with us and uh, is a very, very talented search marketer. Uh, and so excited to have you here today. Thank you, Brian. It's exciting to be here. Um, we're both in California. I'm in the north part of the Bay and you're in the south part of the Bay. So we're kind of yeah. in the same hood. Yeah, exactly. Bay Area folks. Uh, which is good. It means that we've uh, cut our teeth in digital marketing proper, um, kind of at the core of where it all started. Excited to kind of chat with you and just kind of have some some questions and hear about what it's like being a freelancer and your background. Uh, so let's just start with your background. Sure. Can you give us kind of a little bit into that? Sure. Um, I got started working in the entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to be an actress, so that's kind of what got me at, out down there. But it was like in the early days of the internet, so it was a good time to get into digital marketing. Um, I was temping for Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, and they were launching their um, digital asset library, and they kind of brought me in as a project manager. One thing led to another. I was there for five years, and I left with a passion and a thirst for digital marketing that grew from there. Nice. And what did you do after uh, Sony? Uh, I worked, I consulted for different entertainment companies, production mm -hmm. companies. I did a lot of project management on the digital marketing side and a lot of copywriting. I got uh, to write got uh, synopses that were on like DVD packaging and stuff, which was kind of cool. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I used to do some entertainment marketing uh, as well. I worked for a company called Filter Music Marketing or Music Magazine, and they had a whole marketing division. Um, and I was on street teams, so not digital, but running around handing out pamphlets to people at concerts. But it's good fun. Entertainment it's, it's exciting. Yeah, it, was it cool. is. So what brought you into the SEM side of things? Well, my, my, my thirst actually started with SEO. Mm -hmm. um, I was always really, because I remember the world before the internet, and then I remember the, the birth of the internet and how excited I was, just as a person, where there's all this information that you can, you have access to. Everything is at your fingertips, really. And I started uh, just kind of getting obsessed with finding things through search engines. Um, I got really obsessed with the Google bomb, if you remember, like if you could manipulate search engines, like the big one was when George W. Bush was president, it was big failure or something like that. Mm -hmm. And if you typed in big failure, it was like the George W. Bush um, page was like the number one result. And that was all a result of using big failure in the anchor text and then linking to that page. And I just thought, wow, that's super cool. I love that, you know, you can manipulate search engines that way. Mm -hmm. So I had a friend that did SEO and he kind of schooled me and told me how it worked. And I took a lot of classes in SEO and read a lot of books in it. And I finally got a job um, helping a retailer with their SEO. And then he says, Hey, you know, uh, I want to start doing this, you know, 
this advertising and search engines too. Do you think you can do that? And I was like, hey, yeah, definitely interested. So he sent me to these Google-sponsored seminars for success. I don't think they have them anymore, but they were here in the Bay Area. So I basically learned from like Google people how to properly use Google Ads, and that was over 10 years ago. And I've been doing it ever since, both SEO and SEM, but primarily SEM at this stage of my career. Yeah. What's, what's changed in the last 10 years? Um, a lot. <laughs> uh, work, working. Well, the funny thing is working mostly for, aside from the last year, which has been just so different, um, I was working mostly for companies. Um, my, uh, you know, I worked a lot as a freelancer early on when I was in entertainment. Um, mm -hmm. and then my mother would always tell me that's not, that's not career stability. Like you need a real job. You need a job with a pension and health insurance. And I kind of had that drilled in my head. So living up in the Bay Area, I was like, I want a real job. I want a real company. I want job security and my health insurance paid and all of that fun stuff. So I've been working for companies. But um, what I really realized is that there is no such thing as job security. Um, not it's a myth. Land. Yeah. No, no, it isn't. I mean, even, even when you're not working for a startup, like my last job, I was working four years uh, for a travel company and it was great. You know, it was a great job. I loved it. I think they liked me. I got a raise every year. I got to travel. Um, I was always given good feedback. And then all of a sudden they said, we're closing the California office. If you want to keep your job, you need to move to Arizona. And I was like, I don't really like Arizona. <laughs> so suddenly I found myself out of a job. Yeah. Um, and I mean, look at what's happening with COVID and how many people are not, you know, through no fault of their own, they don't have a job. So job security, phew, it's a myth. It's not real. Yeah. No, I think it's tough. You know, you're always at the whim of other folks, which is one reason why, you know, we're big believers in freelancing. Uh, exactly. With Growtel. And so how has it been in terms of getting into freelancing and what's that journey been like? That's funny because when I, my job ended, it was about a year ago, um, I thought, well, you know, and I had still done occasional like side gigs through people I knew that knew I, I did, you know, knew SEO. So it's primarily SEO jobs. So I did some audio book recording too. Um, so I thought, okay, I'll do that because I don't want to like just take a job just to be in a hurry to get a job and it's not the right fit. And I wanted to stay in the travel industry. So I pinged my network. I started working um, with an agency that I know in Marin and doing some um uh, Google ads management for them. And it was part time and looking for a job interviewing with a lot of travel companies. And then all of a sudden COVID happened. And I was like, Oh, no, like, this isn't going to happen. Like travel industry is, is going to be in trouble for a while now. Yeah. And then I was thinking, Okay, well, what now? I, I really don't know what I want to do. And I thought, well, you know what, I think I'm going to keep doing the consulting. Uh, if I can keep continue to get the work. Um, but the only like other alternative I had to getting consulting work was Upwork, which I had known about through my last job because we actually hired freelancers through Upwork. Mm -hmm. So I realized it's a lot different experience when you're on the freelancer side than when you are on the business side. Sure. Um, for example, with Upwork, you have to buy something called credits in order to bid for a job. Um, so you have to actually pay to be considered for the job, which oh, wow. I think is a bit ridiculous. And those credits expire. Like I just got an email uh, this week telling me that my credits are going to expire and I need to use them or I'm going to lose them. It's like, wait a second, I paid for this. Um, That's terrible. And 
Upwork takes 20% of what you make. That's a lot. Yeah. It is a lot. So, so you, you know, pay for it. Exactly. Exactly. And they don't do any work. So it's like, but when you're on the business side, you, it's a very nominal fee. It, it's definitely a, a model that is designed to help businesses and kind of stick it to the freelancers. So um, I was really happy to find Grotal because Grotal has been fantastic. Grotal is other digital marketers. So I feel like I'm working with like-minded people. They understand me. Um, they understand the business. They understand the industry. And they're not looking out for just the businesses. They're looking out for everybody. Um, so it's been great. It's, it's helped me be able to work full time. Well, I'm, uh, obviously we're excited to have you on board and, and love that, that feedback. And the other thing that, you know, with, with Upwork that we've heard from the hiring side is that, and I know from hiring people, and I don't know if you experienced this was it's really hard to find good quality because they don't know, they don't know marketing, right? Uh, and they don't really know any of the specialties that they're in, uh, if you ask me. And so you, have, as the buyer or hirer, have to sift through so many different resumes and things like that. And there's a tendency then to start looking for, okay, well, what's my lowest cost option that's going to get me what I need? And invariably I think you end up hiring someone who isn't a true expert and exactly you know, the things that you know we're trying to accomplish with Grotel is to find people like yourselves who have true expertise in your field you know SEO and SEM so when somebody does bring you on board that they know they're gonna bring on someone that knows what they're doing right exactly it's low risk and I think Upwork is very high risk because you don't know what you're getting. You're just relying on, you know, reviews and somebody's profile to tell you this person's qualified for the job, but you haven't actually, that person hasn't been vetted for the job. Yeah. Yeah. And if we know anything about reviews, they can be manipulated and go on Amazon and who knows. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, what's, uh, so you've been now doing freelancing full time for, uh, what going on a year? Um, how's it? How's it been? Are you? Do you think you'll ever go back? Oh, that's hard to say. Um, at this point, I'm actually happy. There, you know, there's pros and cons to everything, but the biggest benefit of freelancing is getting paid by the hour. Mm -hmm. um, my last job, I was on salary, and you know, we did a lot of. We grew a lot in the time that we were there. We were acquired after a couple of years, so I had a lot of big, big projects that I worked on. And sometimes I was working 60, 70, even 80 hours a week. Yeah. Um, and I'm not getting paid overtime or anything. I'm just, you know, taking one for the team. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're working as a freelancer, you're getting paid by the hour. So if you want to work more hours and you feel like, you know, you can take on more hours, you can. And it's definitely more lucrative. Yeah. And that's one of our big arguments, I think, you know. In, in startup culture up here um, in Silicon Valley, I've found that you know there's a general consensus that engineers are the people who are the most valued, right? And they get paid the most. And a lot of these sort of product and engineering-based companies, I think, discount the value of marketing, in which I would say that the marketing is actually more important in a lot of cases than uh, than engineering, unless you're a very product-centric company, a very tech-centric company. But if you're going to talk about a direct-to-consumer business, for example, 
you know, differentiating Casper mattresses from Lisa mattresses. I mean, that was all marketing, right? Um, and, uh, and, and so it becomes really important, but it's still not recognized, I think, from the financial aspect of it. And so I've seen a lot of marketers, in my opinion, be underpaid with the promise of a big exit in the future. But we all know that the exits usually don't happen right? Most startups don't actually get to the point where there is a huge exit. They might have a, you know, a small buyout at some point, or a lot of them end up shutting their doors in the long run. And so marketers are forced to play the game of jumping from company to company. And that works out well as an engineer, if you're going to be paid a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. But as a marketer, you may be undervalued. And to your point, if you go independent, now you can demand a higher hourly wage than you might have gotten paid working for those businesses directly. And you can charge by the hour. So you can take on more accounts. And if you work more hours, you make more money. So, you know, in, in our experience and running GrowTal, we're seeing a number of the people on our platform make significantly more money than they did working full time. Um, and I, I personally think that that's, you know, it's a really good thing for the people on the platform and you get a diversity of experience in working with a lot of different businesses as well. So absolutely. That's yeah. another thing that I love about it is you get exposed to so many brilliant minds um, working with all these different companies and different technologies because every company, there is no cookie cutter formula for the technology that people are going to use. So you get exposed to a lot of these different technologies, which yeah. I think kind of expands your, your marketing portfolio of skills and experience. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's good. So uh, specifically in terms of the types of projects you're working on, what's, what's exciting to you right now? What's exciting to me? Uh, can I talk about my, um, sure. My, okay. Well, working for you guys and doing your digital marketing is exciting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Love having you doing it. It is annoying, knowing the brand, but um, I'm working with uh, a wound care company. I just took over their advertising. So I'm restructuring it. And that's really um, exciting to do. I, don't, I didn't know anything about wound care, but their lead generation so that the way they track their offline leads is really interesting. They use a lot of cool technologies. They have a brilliant digital marketing squad of people. Uh, they have these daily scrums. So um, I just, I think that's really an interesting new um, industry for me to tap into. Also um, with SEM, there's different, you know, medical challenges when it comes to policy in Google and um, it helps to kind of understand that industry better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that that's good. What, what about, so some of those technologies, can you give us a little bit more insight into like, the types of stuff that you're seeing that's a little bit more cutting edge? Uh, well, like one, one of the things that I was recently introduced to is LeadsRx, mm -hmm. which is a multi-touch attribution platform. It tells you basically, it outlines the customer journey. So you can see like how many different, you can actually look on a granular level, tracking a lead and saying like how many of these channels contributed to that lead and it's broken down for you in exquisite detail. 
I actually went to a um, demonstration from the um, tech lead for this company who was going through like a few examples of how we got this actual person, the recruiting physicians, how they got this physician and the whole journey to it and how certain channels are undervalued. And that's typically like the struggle is, you know, people, especially with what I do, which is PPC management, is people don't really understand the value because they just say, oh, this is what I'm getting, but they don't see that there's a full journey. Maybe that person didn't click on your ad and immediately, you know, convert. Maybe they came back later through an email or through organic but that was the first impression of your company that stuck with them. Right. And I think that's important and why that platform is super cool because it does give you know, proper credit to all the channels. Yeah. Yeah. The multi-touch attribution is one of those really difficult things. And I, I'm always amazed at how many companies are still measuring things on the last click. Right. Yeah. Where was the, where did the last click come from? Obviously that's where it should get the results. And obviously that's the easiest place to measure. But it's not, you know, doesn't tell the story of the journey at all, right? Because oftentimes that's exactly. direct, it's a direct hit or it's a branded keyword or it's email to your point, right? But how do they discover the brand in the first place? How do they discover the solution in the first place? And that's arguably more important. But then you have to make sure you nurture them and bring them all the way through the funnel, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? I had something that was, uh, on, on that, uh, that vein. And now I am drawing a blank. It happens to me all the time. We have a video <laughs> editor who can edit this part out. <laughs> Excellent. Jayden, Good to know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I was going to say something about the uh, lead directs around the uh, attribution around SEM. Uh, maybe it was around like a, the iOS stuff. Have you been? Are you up to date on the iOS oh, yeah. changes? I I am. I am. Yeah. Yeah. That's doozy. How do you see those affecting SEM? Do you have any? Uh, is Google giving any clues into how iOS fourteen is going to affect your SEM campaign? Well, they're not like, it's not like Facebook where Facebook is all of it. I think Facebook is really funny the way yeah. that they're, um, you know, saying it's going to affect the small business. No, it's going to affect Facebook. <laughs> uh, you know? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think all, all of the companies that, that we work with on the, on the, the Facebook side of things are heavily reliant on Facebook to drive new customers. And they run, it's not like they're printing money, right? So they have fairly thin margins and they have very specific cost per acquisition goals. And if you take away Facebook's machine learning capabilities uh, and they cannot get the signal back in to drive the ad targeting that they do, the, uh, the quality uh, of the ad targeting is going to drop, which means that it's going to get more mm -hmm. expensive for those advertisers. And I worked at Facebook for four years and I joined in 2013, left in 2017 and have largely focused on helping direct to consumer businesses, uh, you know, ever since 2015. And what I can say is, is that 
there are tons of businesses that have built themselves on the back of Facebook advertising. Similar to, you know, there was a boom in 2000 and, you know, four to 2012 where businesses were built on Google advertising, right? And not to say that there aren't still ones built on Google advertising, but it's gotten a lot more competitive, so it's more difficult to kind of get in, right? And, and get discoverability because all the keywords are been bid up by, you know, major Fortune 500 companies. Um, but on the Facebook side, because it's a discoverability platform, companies like Movement Watches or Casper Mattresses or, uh, you know, all these things, uh, Dollar Shave Club, all those companies really got built on the, on, on the back of Facebook and Instagram ads. And nobody can match their algorithms. Um, you know, TikTok, Snap, none of them can. And they're going to run into all the same iOS problems. And the, there's so much signal that comes out of iOS, it's really going to kill the machine learning. And I think it's going to really hurt these businesses. So, I, I mean, I do too. you can call me biased, but uh, I mean, I'm, I think it's, I think it's. But uh, I think it's going to hurt Facebook too, because people are going to be less, you know, they're not going to want to invest as much if it's, they're not seeing their return either. Um, and I think Facebook relies a lot on, on it more. Like there's a lot, aren't there, isn't there more, more mobile activity on Facebook? Like oh yeah, that's, ton. Yeah, I and, mean, and that's why Google probably won't be affected as much. But I mean, mobile search is really big on Google. And I don't know exactly, and this is, you know, a little bit of a, a point where, I, you know, it's probably to be determined, but how is the... Google search engine and Safari going to be affected in terms of driving back conversion signal to, uh, to the businesses who are advertising, uh, on Google ads on mobile. Um, because my understanding of their privacy changes is that they're not going to allow IDFA. They're not going to allow, you know, identifiable, uh, information to get back to these engines unless people opt in to saying they're okay mm -hmm. with that. But most people are probably not going to opt into it just because they've been scared by the media for so long that somehow these exactly. companies are misusing their data, which they just aren't. It's just wrong, right? Um, but yeah. because, you know, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal wants to scare everyone so they can sell more ads, they have convinced right. everybody that this is a problem. Um, well, you know, Google is always going to have the upper hand because you get people while they're searching for it. So they, they're, you know, that's not, but what you get, they also have what I love about Google and especially just, it's going to hurt their display network, I think more than it's going to hurt their search network because display is where you get to layer all that data, all those buckets, like, you know, the audiences and that stuff is what's really what I think makes the display network so successful with Google and it's going to impact that negatively remarketing too. It's, and you know, YouTube, yeah, YouTube will probably be the same deal. Yeah, it's going to get worse from here, though. I think, you know, it started with GDPR and then there was California had their own version of GDPR last year. And now there's this and it's just going to keep going. And, and you know, it's one of those things that's going to continue to be a, a thorn in the side of digital marketers. Um, I get it as a consumer a little bit. Sometimes I'm really creeped out when I'm served an ad and I'm like, okay, like, you know, way too much about me. Um, but as a marketer, it's like, ugh, I salivate at this stuff. I think it's amazing that you can target people so granularly, you know, and mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's really a shame. Well, you know, what's funny is that I, I used to talk about this a lot because when I got into digital advertising, I started realizing that personalization was a thing, right? That you could actually do personalized advertising. 
and I'd watch TV and I used to always joke, like I'm a, you know, at the time a 22 year old male. Right. And it's like, what, what am I seeing commercials for diapers for? Right. Like I'm not married. I don't have children. Like, but you're showing me diaper commercials or, or Tampax commercials or whatever. Right. Like this is not personalized at all. This is a waste of the advertisers money. Number one. And number two, for me at the time, and I think for most consumers, it's a waste of my attention. My attention should not be placed on this, and it's, it's more of a nuisance than it is a value add. And so I would argue that personalized ads are a massive value add because you learn about the products and services that can be actually beneficial and exactly. provide you real value in your life. And because it's personalized, does it feel creepy? Well, maybe, but like, the reason why is because it actually is for you, right? And so, and if people were smart enough, if they just took the time to dig into how it works, they would realize, I don't know, if I serve you an ad, I don't know that you're getting served the ad, right? The advertiser is not buying this data from Google or Facebook and saying, you know, Leslie and Triago is interested in this thing. They're just taking affinity data that Google and Facebook have gathered uh, and even that is hashed to in a million different ways. There are like three people of each company that might be able to go in and figure out who Leslie and Trago is and what ads are getting serviced. And even then there's a whole bunch of regulatory stuff that says they shouldn't be doing that. And they'd probably get fired if they got in that deep. Right. Um, so like, there's a ton of privacy built on top of it and people just don't understand how it works. And so they're just running around scared because people are telling them that they should be. Right. No, I agree. I mean, I think that, you know, it's like tailor-made advertising for you. I mean, who wants to have like blanket advertising thrown at them? Don't you want to see ads that are, that are going to appeal to you? So you're introduced to things that you're, you're going to like and want, but I'm, I'm afraid it's not going to be going anywhere. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, we're, you know, on, on the agency side of our business, we're looking at doing much more on the media mix model front. So we can start to, which is an old tactic, right? But at least you can start to tell that attribution story of, hey, which, which channel is driving what conversions, right? And if you get enough signal from each channel, you can start to make better decisions and build more and more complex models because you know a lot of these things if it keeps coming the um, you know gdprs of the world and ccpas and now the ios 14 changes and you're going to have cookies go away in 2022 right so we're going to have to build in some uh, different infrastructures that may not be as directly measurable but at least statistically measurable so yeah, yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens with iOS? Yeah, yeah. Well, this was a good tangent. I enjoyed this. Um, anything else you want to add uh, today? Anything else about your experience with Grotel or uh, any advice to freelancers? I think it's a good time for freelancers right now um, because there's a, such a demand because of COVID. I feel really lucky personally. I know uh, businesses that are struggling because of the pandemic, but I think people, if you have digital marketing skills, it's a good time to be a freelancer. There's lots of work. A lot of companies are moving things online. And I think that um, stay away from Upwork and go to Grow Tall if you're a freelancer. Hey. And uh, you'll be happy. 
Perfect. Thanks, Leslie. I really appreciate it. You stay busy. My pleasure, Brian.